0: Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm
1: mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals, and may I say preemptively, Dan, those .LR issues, they definitely don't count.
0: Well, we'll see. We'll see. They might end up counting more than we realize. Uh, But yes, everyone, welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk.
1: Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 50, legacy number 851 or 851 right dan that's it yeah okay sorry which is part one of the last remain storyline not to be confused with the other amazing spider-man number 50 spider-man no more this one is written by nick spencer with art by patrick gleason colors by edgar delgado and letters by vc's joe caramanga and a cover by patrick gleason and maury hollowell this issue was first released on october 14th 2020
0: what's Well Mark here it is issue 50 the one we've long been waiting for I I don't really know where to begin on this do we start with this big reveal I think we should hold off on it till the end to really get into the the meat of that but just as we suspected the reveal of kindred came in issue 50 as as we speculated when 25 didn't reveal it
1: Right right I mean you know frankly I think we could I think we're in agreement here Dan that This issue seemed to be every bit the like event that it was that 850 was, I think, marketed as. And yet, and you know, granted, this was a larger issue too, but you know, like in one breath, hey, like kudos. I feel I finally feel a sense of satisfaction that this story is going to start going places. But holy crap, to make us endure that 999 issue to kind of run in place one more week. Basically that's a tough pill to swallow. I'm sorry.
0: Well, it's funny because I feel like this is the third act to that story that I wanted, you know, it's got like a sort of conclusion to the sin eater story that feels, well, it feels really definitive, a major move forward for kindred in that reveal the kind of finalization of what's going on with Norman Osborne, at least for the time being, like this had like that feeling of something really, truly substantial happening. I think 850 didn't have. And I get it. There was a lot of story to move forward, but I bet it could have been streamlined, you know, here and there and really kind of, you know, landed it on there. But I do appreciate them releasing these just a week apart. I think if we waited two weeks, it wouldn't have felt like, like quite the slam dunk or ever the layup that that it was and so at least editorial knew that there was some need for haste to get this issue out on the heels of uh the you know 8 850 or you know 49 or whatever you want to call it and so for in that regard i think they were aware and did the best they could without giving us a 16 dollar book god help us
1: yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and, and and for the record, I mean, it seems like the next few chapters of this book are going to be coming fast and furious here. I mean, like we got these, you know, as I alluded to in our intro, these dot LRs, which are kind of like, you know, these point one issues similar to what we got in Hunted, you know, being co-written by uh, Matthew Rosenberg and, and Nick Spencer. Uh, and I think one of those is coming next week. And then we got another ASM right after week right after that. So, I mean, like, you know, clearly... You know, all of the machinations and, you know, there's that great CBR interview with Nick Spencer that uh, we were talking about on Twitter earlier this week, Dan, which, you know, kind of puts some context into what we're going to be talking about in this, with this issue today. I mean, it, it's it's very clear that like, you know, we are now to quote Doctor Strange in the end game in terms of this kindred story and Spencer finally getting to do what he's been building towards since issue one of this of this volume. Why don't we get a little further into it? Let's, why don't we start first with the art? Because I think Patrick Gleason creates a mood from the onset in this story that is very unique for this title, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah. I mean, this feels like a horror book, you know, more than it feels like any kind of superhero title. I mean, most of it is graves and corpses and possession and souls and demons and stuff like that. I mean, we are really entering pretty uncharted territory here for a Spider-Man title. Even if you want to talk like one more day, I don't feel like that story was as interested in the horror elements of that story more than it was about the kind of like moral question at, at the heart of it. And so this feels like, I mean, if you thought like, you know, the the original Sin Eater's death of Gene DeWolf story was dark, I, I feel like this. Sto- I mean, I think that story still has like a really dark opening. But the territory that this story occupies already feels unique to me. You know, enough that you and I talk about like Craven's Last Hunt. Great, great story does not feel a lot like a Spider-Man story because of its level of darkness. And for me, this feels like it occupies a similar territory as, like, Craven's Last Hunt. I mean, it's pretty violent and dealing with subject matter that is not typical for a book like this
1: it's funny you just said that because I was literally about to jump in and say well Craven's Last Hunt's kind of got that but you're right it is a different vibe I mean I feel like this is a far more macabre story I mean like I I think visually tonally if there's any comparison and this is not technically a Spider-Man book but I guess it's in the family it kind of feels like that Carnage book that Jerry Conway wrote a couple years back it's, it's it's like a gothic darkness instead of just like a tonal darkness you know what I mean like this fan and I mean all the way down to you know without jumping too far ahead I mean you know the the the, the, the skeletons and the cadavers at the dinner table which we'll, we'll get into the significance of that obviously when we get to it but like you know this is this is a really creepy book filled with very I mean it actually feels like a doctor strange book too I would say you know what I mean like it's like you know filled with these kind of like demonic, visuals, but in a way that One More Day definitely wasn't. That still felt like a Spider-Man story grounded in in a certain reality. It just so happened that reality was kind of Mephisto's reality, if that makes any kind of sense. But what about that story makes sense? It's definitely a very unique vibe. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people kind of talk up the arrival of Patrick Lees into this book. And I honestly have felt his art to be Nice and, and interesting, but like this was the first time I was like, oh, wow, this is this feels like we're finally getting this artist's unique take on on a story. And uh, I'm here for it in terms of having an artist kind of impress himself into the story in a, in, a, in a different way. So good stuff.
0: I feel like he really balanced both elements of this story really well. The kind of like over the top demonic worms and darkness and the kind of grounded human stuff. Uh, this We'll talk about the scenes with Norman, but I feel like, you know, he's balancing the kind of bombast of the Otley stuff with the grounded dialogue scenes of Mark Bagley and the character interactions. Like, I, I, I felt like this is one of the strongest character scenes for Norman Osborn that we've gotten in a really long time. And I know a lot of people were really... You know blowing up the Norman stuff from last issue But to me this is like really excellent character work And most of that comes through from Gleason's pencils And I I just wanted to say what amazed me about this Is that he was able to get here um, as an artist I mean that's not to say that he like tonally I've ever felt that he was limited But his Superman stuff from which I'm familiar with his work Is really hopeful and optimistic and warm and full of, like, you know, rounded pencils that really filled you with, well, glee, son. Kill me now. Oh. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> this is a completely different tone. And, and I really appreciate that he was able to get there. And I think he got a real big help from El- Edgar Delgado's colors. Those purples really filled this book with, like, a different kind of color scheme That I thought was really uh, excellent. Although I have to admit, what color is Kindred's outfit? Because in issue one, it's like this reddish orange color. And in this issue, it's this reddish orange color. And I feel like everywhere in between, it's been purple. And if it's because the overall color scheme is purple, they give it a different color. Fine. But I do get frustrated that I'm not really quite sure what color Kindred's color scheme is?
1: That's just because you're still pining on your uh, on your other theory about you know the clothes that Peter and MJ were wearing in the first kiss, and you know like now it's kind of moving away from that. But whatever. Point being, yeah, it's a little frustrating. And I just just to kind of like put a put a bow on what you were just saying there about Gleason's art here. One thing that I do find to be interesting, you know, you talk about the humanity of the Norman Osborn scenes. Uh, which I 100% agree with. But what's kind of interesting is a lot of the off-kilter and unsettling gothic stuff, in addition to being associated with Kindred, is a lot of it is also associated with Spider-Man. Like Spider- there, There's very little humanity to Peter's thread in this comic. Would you agree with that?
0: What do you mean by that? I'm trying to kind of grasp what you're getting at.
1: I, I just feel like like this is we're 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 kind of being played I feel like throughout this whole issue we're kind of being placed in that weird dreamscape that Peter has kind of floated in and out of throughout this run, going back fifty issues now, so to speak. Like this this there's very little grounded in reality, I feel, in Peter's interactions in this story. I mean, whether he's recounting it to Doctor Strange or whatever but like there's a lot of like I feel stuff feels off balance it feels uneven it feels you know I was questioning at points is this real am I seeing what's actually happening or am I seeing what Peter thinks is happening you know what I mean like it's 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 very unsettling whereas I feel like in some of the Norman scenes that you were describing even though it's Norman and the Sin Eater who's this you know basically this this Night from hell coming you know doing the dirty work of 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 kindred here, like those felt like real moments, like I wasn't questioning the reality of it, you know does that
0: make sense? yeah, that makes sense, and I think this is actually a really good bridge to discussing the structure of this book because I think that feeling that you're having is re- really comes a lot from not only the artwork and the colors. But also the way in which the structure of this is so well—I I don't want to say unstructured because it's done with a reason. But we are in that kind of Spencerism of of moving, jumping around in time, and changing—you uh, know—narrators and perspectives. And you know, if if you were to read that CBR interview, which I think we should talk about at the end of this discussion, because there's a number of interesting things in that interview this is not to say that I think Spencer has a complete and total control over this book, because I think a number of stories have shown some things to be a little unwieldy for him, but I do, it does make me think that a lot of these structures maybe are being done intentionally to create what you're describing is this dreamlike narrative where things are a bit more unmoored from what we're, we're used to. And I've talked in the past about, you know, maybe that omniscient narrator that I complained about, it does actually have a purpose. But let's talk about this particular story. I, I've seen people saying online that they were very confused by the narrative here and how it jumped around. Did it work for you or did you find yourself confused? And if you did, I guess, was that a good thing?
1: I don't know if I was confused. But like I said to you before we started talking about this comic, you know, offline, I, I said, you know, this was this was not a perfect issue, but it's a good it's a good opener for the arc and I think part of what goes into my imperfections was this narrative style but like frankly as you also just alluded to I mean Spencer has been kind of deploying this tactic a lot so like I feel like I'm getting better at following along but you know like there's it's there's still this uncertainty and you know yeah I mean not to not to spoil anything but like you know I I feel like As is also then alluded to in this interview, like this is very, very intentional. And I think we're, you know, as the story unfolds, we're going to be finding out that the reason why so much of this narrative and these select issues has kind of been uneven and jumping around and and kind of unreliable. It feels like an unreliable narrator is telling the story. And I think that's intentional because I think we're going to find out that certain things that we saw with our own two eyes uh, and we're kind of being led to believe were truths and realities are n- going to turn out to not have actually happened the way we saw them happen earlier in this book. And so this is by design. And, you know, I think when when maybe when all the pieces are put together and things are revealed by the, the, the writer as we push along, it's going to be like, ah, OK, now that makes sense. But in the moment when you're reading it, it's just because like there's a reason for it doesn't also necessarily mean that it's easy to read and enjo- always enjoyable to read when you're kind of like having to go back and forth and back and forth. Like, OK, I think I figured out the timeline here. So, you know, like I said, it's not confusion as much as like, here we go again, like Spencer's doing it again. So let me kind of brace myself with the Spencer mindset now and, and, and be prepared to do a little extra work in going through this comic.
0: I think I felt similarly to you and the kind of pages that really summed up this issue for me and the kind of headspace that I was in, whereas what's one page with the 12 panels of Spider-Man falling out of the sky and then crashing into the dumpster. And I think that's kind of how we're supposed to feel. It's just kind of bombarded with a lot of imagery and a lot of things happening, kind of just uh, unmoored and, and, and kind of set off on our guard. And 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 that moment has a lot of questions for me. Like, is this some kind of mystical thing that's happening to Spider-Man? Is it this kind of Spider-Man 2-esque impotence that's causing him to kind of fall out of the sky? There's just something off here. And we're not putting our finger on it just yet, but he wants you to feel that way. And I thought, just to get back to the art, I thought the pairing and how Gleason handled the scene his Spider-Man is kind of like David LaFuente's Spider-Man from Ultimate Spider-Man with the big eyes and kind of exaggerated cartoonish figure features while still being realistic. But throwing him into like the muck and the grime like this in such a physical way, such a real tangible way with also his kind of cartoonish look to me is a combination of both those worlds. The, the elevated and the grounded And it has me really thrown off about which direction to go in. Is Kindred a mystical creature? Is he a grounded real world element that we should believe in? These two pages to me put me in that headspace that allowed me to kind of go with the rest of the story.
1: Well, let's talk about seeing kindred here kindred alarmed i mean is, is it is it is it worth an alarm here uh, <laughs> but uh, i mean you know very very much in your face kind of monologuing about the frustration of waiting which i thought was quite meta you know is spencer talking to to fans and critics like us dan uh, when he when when that's being written that and you know so 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 bluntly in this comic we see him digging through this grave you know we're, we're it's kind of building and building and building it's like finally you know he's basically saying i'm I'm ready to reveal myself, and then you know we kind of pull back and we see the grave of Captain George Stacy. So maybe all of those lookouts, you know, we've been talking about since the beginning of the time here, uh, are, are are paying off in some kind of way.
0: Yeah, this was a, a really fun reveal to me, especially as the as one of the I don't know. I've never seen I haven't seen anybody else on the internet calling out the lookout. So. I'm going to take credit for discovering the Lookouts in some way. Uh, This is like fun to kind of see, oh, maybe there is something there that like you said. I do have to say, and this is just a personal thing. I'm really angry because at 8 a.m. on the morning that this comic came out, I was spoiled on Twitter by someone just flat out posting the final page of this issue and I won't say who it was. Suffice to say it was another Spider-Man podcast that did it. And just don't po- post spoilers at 8 a.m. on the morning a comic comes out. There's no reason to do it. You don't need the likes and the retweets. It just It's not helping anybody. Nobody is going to be thrilled by seeing that to you. You're not going to gain more followers from that. You're probably going to lose some. But here's what makes me upset in regards to this George Stacy thing is, I think this is a really clever misdirect uh, that I didn't get to experience in the moment because I already knew who Kindred was. And while I was still thrilled by it and the implications of it, I'm curious more, Mark, what did you think when you saw this page? Because you didn't know.
1: Uh, Yes, and I see where you're going with this. And yeah, like there was a moment where I was like, Huh, but like I was never willing to believe that Kindred was George Stacy, even with all of the lookouts. But like, frankly, you know, we had talked about this on a Patreon exclusive some time ago. Like, I, I, I felt like George Stacy was going to figure into this story somehow. I, I, my original guess was he was th- he was maybe actually the Sin Eater rather than Stan Carter, which we will get to in a moment. Was not. The case, so I thought maybe like I was like, whoa, did I am, am I like you know? Because at this point, I was still kind of holding firm to who I thought was Kindred, based on the evidence and the way the character kind of has been characterized so far. But I was like, hey, am I going two for two here with my predictions? <laughs> that was my initial initial <laughs> uh, uh, read of the of the situation. And yeah, I mean, it was it was a it was I don't want to say a great reveal, but like it was it felt like all of the kind of you know, amateur sleuthing that you and I have been doing on this podcast over the last few years. Like it, it, it felt like, like an, I don't want to say a nod. It wasn't a nod. I mean, it's the story, but like I, there was some vindication in seeing, okay, like we weren't just making this up and creating something out of nothing. All the way we may, may have done during say the Goblin King storyline where we were kind of like, holding firm to the idea that, well, I was holding firm to the idea that it was Nor- Normie Osborne <laughs> as the Goblin King. Um, <laughs> like this, this, this felt like, okay, like, we were right for thinking that George Stacy, and you know, that there was definitely some imagery and illusions. And, and I do want to add Dan not to jump around, but there was something in at the end of the last issue that we didn't talk about. And it kind of occurred to me after the fact, but um, there's the scene where Spider-Man is um, when he finally pushes Norman out of the, the, sh- the craft or whatever you want to call it. And I, I actually interpreted that as kind of like, a reverse of the Captain Stacy death scene because, you know, Stacy is putting himself in harm's way by pushing the little boy. And, you know, and it's a similar kind of push with the two handed push out. So I I felt like, again, like that was probably another nod to that scene and that Peter pushing Norman out out into danger was kind of like the, the reverse of that and kind of what brought on like the final step to bringing on kindred, in, in terms of like all this illusions and, and imagery and whatnot. So I just wanted to throw that out there. To your yeah, other, that's
0: p- an excellent find. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So to your other point, yeah. Well, let's like, why are we spoiling stuff? People, come on! Like, you got you got to you got to at least give people an opportunity to read the comic for themselves first before you start spoiling stuff. I mean, I I you know I typically don't get to especially during the pandemic read the comics the day they come out so like i i try to avoid social media where i can and if i know someone's posting spoilers i try i unfollow them pretty quickly uh so bad stuff doesn't come further down the line but you know like don't do it people so do we want to jump to this norman sin eater scene because i think this was a key scene as well
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, you kind of got us there by talking about the push. So let's talk about uh, what happens after the push. So this is a flashback, although I don't know that we necessarily know that quite at this point in time. So we're back in the moments, I, I would suspect, immediately after the events of 850, where Norman has hit the water. And it's revealed that, you know, truly the Sin was not really stopped by all that cement. He is... <laughs> Already pursuing Norman Osborne down in the sewer system, I guess. Whatever whatever Norman's plan was regarding ESU. And I thought that this is all this stuff with Norman in this book, for me, was the real highlight of this book. I thought this was, like I, I think I said earlier, some of the best Norman writing. You know, that makes itself really apparent, I think, when the Sin Eater shows up. And Norman kind of starts pleading for his life. And I just thought every line was chosen really carefully. And it was fun to read Norman pleading for his life and trying to win Stan Carter over to joining him, a la the Emperor from Star Wars. Together we could rule this galaxy. Yeah, right. Always. Um, it's always together we can rule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Well, that's what happens when you're not at the upper hand. Although I guess in the instance of Star Wars, Vader had the upper hand quite literally because Luke lost his. But we won't go down that road. But yeah, I love this this scene and then watching Norman kind of flip, where you realize it was really just kind of a, a you know a gas to try to kind of gaslighting. Sin eater and uh, anyway, I I love this scene. What do you think about some of the stuff here?
1: Oh yeah, I mean this is this is perfect. This is this is Norman as I want to read him in terms. You know, it's it's all of his madness and mania, the begging and the pleading, which kind of leads to like just him laughing it off and being like, I can't do that. You know, I can't keep the charade up. It's just it's 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 perfect. And and you know, like Gleason captures it really well in terms of like. Kind of just the different contortions and turns of character that we get here. I mean, everything is kind of like you said, the words, the words are chosen, are chosen perfectly and the visuals are chosen perfectly. Uh, all the way through him finally kind of pulling up the mask and saying, okay, go ahead, kill him. I don't need him anymore, which is, I, uh, I, I mean, you know, it's so funny because like in some ways, like Norman has been pining to get rid of the goblin madness for, for, for a while now. That was kind of his story uh, headed towards the end of the dance slot run uh, a few years ago. But w- how did you take that line of, of text there in terms of its meaning?
0: I mean, it's a really interesting line of text. And I thought Gleason or whoever came up with this did a really interesting thing with the mask being held over Norman's face. And you get that green eye that shows through it. And to jump ahead when after he's cured, or whatever you want to call it cleansed his eye is blue when he looks through the mask and it's a really nice touch i guess for me the idea is that norman has kind of realized that after all this time his madness is more of a like a crutch than it is his strength and that he can be strong when he's sane and he doesn't need the goblin madness anymore like he says here i've been he was the head of shield and all of this stuff and it, it does he, does he truly need the goblin persona anymore? I don't know if that I buy that because Norman's just an insane guy. I mean, maybe not anymore. I just thought it was a really interesting line. I, I I'm curious to see that play out if that's cause that line was very deliberately written. And I, I wonder where Spencer is going with that because it's a concept for the character that I've not seen before that he like, he almost admits before he's cleansed that he's, been he's moved on in some way, and I, I, that's really interesting to me.
1: Let's just move on to the next scene. Uh, reunite uh, Spider Man and Doctor Strange. So, and we kind of knew this was coming from previews and and solicits and stuff like that. But just for additional context, there was that CBR interview we've been referring to, where uh, Spencer talks about kind of his fondness of pairing the from the J. Michael Straczynski run and Doctor Strange. I mean, although I mean a lot of that was more on one more day, right? I mean, I'm trying to think back to that arc. I mean, there was also the Loki story, right? Was Doctor Strange involved with that, or am I misremembering?
0: I believe so. I think, you know, Doctor Strange allowed Peter, like, access to defeating the Mindless Ones and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that Doctor Strange is involved. You're talking about, like, issues, like, 500 and 501?
1: Right, correct. Right, 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 right. I mean, frankly, even without the JMS connection, I mean, like, this is something fans of the MCU. I mean, like Spider Man and and Doctor Strange have kind of been paired off in in the most recent Avengers movies. Like this is this is not a, a unique pairing, I think, for modern readers to see, but it's kind of fun to to bring them together here. I don't know. Like I also kind of felt like this scene was also reminiscent of not to mix my media here, but like that the, the scene in Avengers Infinity War where Hulk kind of goes crashing through the the you know the 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 sanctum Santorum. I mean I know it's not exactly the same but like the idea of kind of like arriving at strangest doorstep like you know beaten beaten to crap and and on you know like kind of looking very worse for wear kind of brought me to to that scene uh, with the hulk with Bruce Banner in in Infinity War 2 so I don't know if that was an intentional nod or not but like I said, like these are, these are characters that have interactions and visual cues and other media that's far more popular than the comic books. Uh, so I'm sure bringing it in here is not is not a major leap of faith.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, so so back down to the Sin Eater again, who now is Norman Osbornless. I guess Norman is sitting there laying in the water, having been cleansed. Let's talk about that really quickly. Like, do we think Norman being cleansed? I mean, how long does this hold? T- to me, this seems like potential for a significant moment in the history of Norman Osborne as a character.
1: Yeah, I don't buy it. I-, I don't buy all of the characters that have been cleansed by the Sin that this is going to be a long term fix for these characters. You know, I mean, not that we necessarily need to have. S- resolution on oh, what was the, the 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 stable of villains that we got a few issues ago the uh lethal the,
0: legion the whatever. lethal
1: legion i mean you know we're we're not pining for answers about them per se but i i just don't see it just like i don't i'm sure juggernaut will be appearing again in x-men or wherever else i mean you know like it's just like this there's no way but i think specifically with norman i mean like this is kind of um you know a moment for shock and you know like to actually see the these characters kind of execute on these plans. It's a bit of it's a bit of like a, oh really, but I, I don't buy it, Dan. I don't know. Like I, I don't don't ask me how it's going to be reversed, but I don't buy it.
0: I don't buy it in the long term, right? Because it's the Goblin, right? The, the, there's no instance where we're not going to have a long term Norman as the Green Goblin, you know, back in this book. It, it's unavoidable, just like the way it was when he was killed off in one twenty two. You know, so someone was going to bring him back that's just how comics work. But I do hope that this is a, an opportunity to do something new with Norman. You know, we'll get into the later part of this book where he is cleansed and and awake and walking around. But I did think this was a powerful moment of just seeing him face down in the water, thinking that maybe this chapter has ended. Now, certainly the sin eater thinks this chapter has, has ended and is now pleading with, Kindred to like answer his prayers and you know give him what he wanted which you know Kindred implies like a seat at his throne but that's not really what's going to gonna happen here and Kindred shows back up and he turns the sins that the Sin Eater has collected into these like sin monsters and turns them back on the Sin Eater because and this is the one part of the issue that really didn't click for me is the idea that the sin eater has not yet like repented for killing his partner, which I believe is a story that was introduced in the sins rising prelude. And I just, I almost didn't even need it. Like just kill the sin eater. I'm fine with that. Like that, that, that reveal did not do anything for me.
1: This this part transitioning into the next scene are probably to me are the weaker parts of this comic for me. It's where you know where I say it's not perfect. It really kind of comes to to full form because like yeah, I, I I feel like you know one breath. Yeah, this 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 backstory about the partner is I guess trying to give a little more justification for what they're about to do with the sin eater. But like at the same token, like I like it's very clear that. And, and Kindred says as much in this comic. It's like, I no longer have use for you. Goodbye. And that's more or less how this scene is just written. And it's like, OK, I, I I mean, like, I get it. But the same token, like, because the way this comic has been written in the last few months, like, I mean, we've been supposed to be invested in the Sinator story and who, you know, what Sinator is doing and what he's trying to repent on, etc. And I just kind of feel like this was a, a rushed Kind of ham-fisted conclusion to his story, and you know, like, are we are we going to deal with any of the fallout from him going forward? Uh, who knows? But like, you know, it, it it kind of like just as he came into the story, and I said, do people really care about the senator in two thousand and two thousand twenty? I I kind of feel the way this scene is treated. The answer to that is no, but you know, I needed to use him to advance my story, so deal with it people (laughs) you know what i mean like it's just kind of like he's here and now he's gone and you know move on and focus on these other characters that you're actually invested in so it just kind of felt like a a cheap a cheap cop out to just dump dump this thread you know provided i'm sure they're going to come back to it to some degree but like it, it just felt unsatisfying to me in terms of this whole arc with him
0: did it bother you that he didn't look like the juggernaut anymore? I mean, I can no prize it any day of the week, but it, it did seem like a big jump.
1: Yeah, I mean, it surprised me. But like if I'm being honest and I didn't really get into this in the last episode, I, I really was not a huge fan of that design from the last issue. So like I also was kind of like, ah, whatever, I really didn't want to look at that character anyway because it didn't I didn't like how it was rendered. So I got through, I got, I got over it quickly. (laughs) And like you said, you, 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 you can no prize it, you can no prize it well enough. But then we get back to like what I'm assuming is a flashback. Uh, this is again where the narrative gets weird. Two two issues with this next scene, Dan. It's first, it's the the narrative structure. It's kind of unclear. Are we going backwards or forwards? It's Peter with Doctor Strange, kind of reliving what got him to this point. And then it's it's the order of the web again. And like you know, like I I still just don't quite understand what role they're playing. It's like I mean, and even they're all like here, like oh, what just happened? Oh, and like Gwen starts. Saying, "Oh, I think we were we were saved, even though we didn't need to be." And I, I, it just it's not like the, the whole character interactions here just don't work for me. I feel like a lot of these scenes are either them standing around or just kind of like these random character turns, and I'm not, I, I, it, it just doesn't work for me. I, I, I don't, I really am not enjoying the presence of these of all of these spider characters in this story here. I really wish it was just Peter versus Norman versus Kindred and Sin eater, and and, and leave it at that.
0: Well, we're going to explore each and every one of them in those LR issues. So get ready for that. But at the same time, I'm looking forward to it because maybe Spencer's the one who can finally get me to care about like a bunch of these uh, spider women. You know, like, oh, Spencer made me care about the given. He can make me care about Madam Web and Silk, maybe. So we'll see. I did like how Patrick Gleason rendered Spider Gwen. It was kind of weird. She just had like a kind of solid inked outline, but there were no real solid inks on the interior of her design. It gave her this really kind of like soft, otherworldly feel, which to me made sense because she's from another dimension and I don't know, it just it made her feel like really different as a character and I, I, I'm i curious to see what he was going for there in, in, in the way that he stylized her and I, I enjoy any take on that costume and, and I agree with you. Gwen's speech about being rescued, I didn't get, like, who was doing the rescuing? Didn't they do the rescuing of Peter? I don't really get, like, what was going on there. It then ends the scene with that big splash page of, like, all those sins attacking them, which looks like just, like, a bunch of guts just, like, splashing itself all over the the page. Yeah, and it was rendered
1: cool and, like, kind of, like, dark silk, you know, demonic silk attacking Spider-Man. I mean, like, it, these are cool images, but, yeah, I mean... I know brace myself I'm gonna get all these point ones that don't count uh that explain the 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 what's going on with these characters but it, it's just it's just not working for me Dan and it, it's like I you know I no matter how hard they're trying it's not working for me after Peter like recounts all this to Doctor Strange we get I this was probably my favorite line of the whole book even though it's kind of it's super meta and has many different meanings it's it's Dr. Strange basically saying, whether it was to save lives or not, you made a deal with a demonic entity. Did you really think that it wouldn't come back to haunt you? And like, yes, it's obviously on the surface, we're talking about Peter, Norman and Senator you know, that he, he he made it. He made a deal. First, he made the deal with Norman that came back and, and, and bit him in the butt. So then he he got he dumps Norman and basically kind of sold himself out to the Sinator's desires who's another demonic entity. But, you know, what's what's the 800 pound gorilla in the room here, Dan, in terms of the demonic entity and what this story is all about? (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's one more day. And and I and that's why I still hold firm to and we'll talk about this when we talk about the final reveal here. I still hold somewhat firm to my original theory about the Kindred stuff, because I do think that Spencer is playing in the Playground or whatever of of one more day. Some people would consider it not a playground, but like an American ninja warrior challenge It's not fun for them But I do think that we are operating in that territory and lines like this and all the lines we've gotten about devils and things like that I I just I can't I just can't see this story concluding without a one more day You know, some kind of significance in that regard being brought up. I mean, heck, we got a sin's past reference. If he's willing to touch that third rail, which he alluded to in the CBR interview, like then I think he's going to touch the ultimate third rail. We'll see. So, Mark, why don't you take us to the big scene here?
1: Yeah. So we we, we cut back to Kindred and we get visual references to i mean what is absolutely it's probably one of my favorite, you know we we were talking about again we were talking about this before we started recording like such a great issue of of Spider-Man Spectacular Spider-Man number 189 which is kind of like the the middle chapter of JMD's uh, Peter Harry Osborne saga which was you know started with the child within this was you know the middle part which is that this very painful awkward dinner dinner party with uh harry osborne and and liz allen uh where like harry's descent into madness is really captured you know so here we are here kindred kindred is is echoing that and he's setting up the dinner table with 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 loved ones and the loved ones turned out to be the the corpses of uh george and gwen stacy i mean this is like you know, Gleason's art, creepy art on full display, but also like just a great visual reference to to this great story from the past. I mean, like what's not to love as a Spider-Man fan here, right?
0: I'll go out and say it. I like Spectacular 200 a lot, but I think 189 is my favorite of of all of that. I just think that that issue is so unique, this really weird dinner scene, and it opens with the unforgettable image of Peter sitting on his couch looking at that package of the, with the goblin spring loaded explosion that, you know, uh, it's just really great. And Sal Buscema's art, I think at its like absolute best uh, it's one of the first Spider-Man comics I ever read actually. So it really sticks in my mind and seeing as soon as I saw kindred placing the like fork and knives, I was like, Oh yes. You know, uh, I think this issue really gives up its twist very early on by having Norman call the character boy and calling him a weakling. And then this thing, it was like, all right, I knew exactly where we were going the minute I saw that these uh, utensils were being put down on this table. So, yeah, I thought this was a really, really cool imagery. Uh, I super dug it. All right. So then why don't
1: don't we just... Get cut to the chase here, Dan. So we we're, we're, we we have the corpses. We we cut back to Norman, like you mentioned. Norman's eyes are blue again. He's repentant. He's not talking crazy anymore. You know, like I felt this was really good writing in terms of how they're selling Norman's transformation. Uh, but then he starts talking about kindred. Also, it's worth noting the character he's talking about Kindred to is Dr. Kafka, who is another major character from the uh, J.M. DeMatteis run, during, especially the, the Child Within storyline, which was kind of going over Harry Osborn's daddy issues, for lack of a better word. Why are we talking about Spectacular 189? Why are we talking about Child Within and Dr. Kafka? Because... Norman ends the comic by saying that Kindred is my son. And we see the visual of Kindred looking in a mirror and Harry Osborne looking back. And I'm going to now take my victory lap around the podcast studio here, Dan, because
0: I was right. <laughs> Oh man, I I was, I've been waiting for this insufferable speech ever since, uh, ever since someone spoiled it for me. But yes, Mark, you were right. It it was him after all. Let's talk about that because, you know, as, as much as you, you were right. And I think right in that you emphasized early on that the importance of Kindred referring to Peter as Pete, right? That was the real clue all, all along. Yeah. And you seized on that right away for me, like as gr- I think this was handled exceptionally well, you know, with a couple of early nods within this issue that kind of gave it away a little bit within this issue. It was exceptionally well handled. But the reason that I never accept the obviousness of it being Harry Osborn was it was just too obvious T- to me back in Amazing Spider-Man 31. They really leaned into it too far and it, it really undercut this reveal for me, even though I ultimately appreciate it in the moment, thinking that this issue handled it spectacularly. I really wanted to be shocked and I got no ounce of shock out of it, even with my, the spoiler of it all. I saw the spoiler and my, I have to admit my immediate reaction was, well, duh, of course, which I don't think is what you want when you reveal something. No, but
1: I mean... Again, going way, way back to early Kindred stuff, I mean, like Spencer's interview with CBR confirms as much as well. Like, I think the surprise here is going to not necessarily be who Kindred is, but what he wants and why he's here and how he's doing what he's doing. Because the thing is, Harry Lyman, who is, you know, the character that we have been seeing as Harry Osborne for the last few years. It's not some de- demonic hell spawn with the supernatural powers and the ability to play with reality the way Kindred has, and you know. And I think there's going to be reasoning for that, and we're going to learn about that. And I still, you know, you know, I, I guess when I say that I was right, I still don't actually think I'm fully uh, my my rightness has been fully vindicated yet, because as as I have been saying for the better part of the last few months, it's not just that it's Harry Osborn, but I feel that this is a very specific version of Harry Osborn that's linked to the events of One More Day. Because, you know, as I've been saying, Harry Harry Osborn was dead in the ground and then magically reappeared after Peter annulled his wedding to Mephisto with MJ. And the, and, and the fact that this is all being spurred about by Peter and MJ getting together in the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, whether that bears to be what the reality was or not, which we might learn is not the case. I, I, I think there's, there's reasoning to this. And, you know, the fact that Harry has these demonic powers, I think, demonstrates that this is not the Harry Lyman that we have been seeing in the comics for the last few years. There's something else going on here. And that's where I think the story is going to start fleshing that out
0: and i really hope that you're right and i think you are and and nick spencer says as much in his cbr interview he says uh quote i knew the reveal was the beginning of the mystery not the end and that's what i've been pleased to see in the response people realizing that it's not that harry wasn't on the list of suspects he was it's the can of worms he opens how did he become this when did when did the turn happen What is he after? And that's the thing that makes me joyful about this reveal is it happened. And now we can move on to what's next. And that's always been the more interesting thing, I think. And I think ultimately it's the the answer to this is going to lie somewhere between both of our guests, guesses that it isn't just Harry Osborne, and it isn't the soul of the marriage. It is some connection between the two or something related to what Peter's choices have been in the past that we're getting. Because I think if it's just pre-One More Day Harry or if it's Harry Lyman, it's a regression for both characters. Cause like pre-One More Day Harry, in his death in his deathbed, he was gracious and showed his true character, right? That he wasn't this evil crazed guy. He was Peter's friend, right? And Harry Lyman has been able to transcend all of that, even rejecting his last name, rebuilding his family, reconnecting with Liz. To have him do this would be a complete betrayal of his character. Somebody was joking in our Slack that how do they turn this guy into an LMD? And I was like, well, if they turn Harry Lyman into an LMD, there's a lot of explaining to do regarding his child, (laughs) Uh, you know, but but yeah, I mean, I I think that's what has me really excited about this book is I can't wait to find out what the heck happened here. You know, even if we may have guessed it a, a while back. And I and ultimately, if I were to tell Spencer to do this differently, I would say have them interact earlier, get to this earlier and don't lean into it quite so hard in those absolute carnage issues.
1: To bridge off your point here, I think it's worth noting when you kind of go through the history of Spider-Man here with all of these mystery characters and reveals, you know, the re- the reveals themselves have never really been spectacular in their own right. Like I was kind of, you know... I, I don't appear in the slack often, Dan, but when I do, I, I I try to bring the fire. And I was going through this with someone because someone was saying, well, you know, with with Harry, I just don't feel, you know, I don't I, I kind of feel so what about it? And I'm like, well, you know, put yourself back in the night in 1966 when when Green Goblin is revealed to be Norman Osborn. And it's like, so what? Like, who who the heck was Norman Osborn at that point? But it was what was subsequently done with Norman Osborne and the knowledge that he now had as the Green Goblin knowing Peter's identity, that's what gives the character a legacy, not not that it was not the reveal itself. And you know, w- where things with the Hobgoblin, frankly, have always kind of been off kilter. It's like, you know, well, first they threw the Ned Leeds, and then you know, years later, Roger Stern rewrote it as Roderick Kingsley, but like, so what? who was who ended up being the hobgoblin was was probably the most uninteresting part of the character it was like what the character as the hobgoblin was doing it was the mystery itself and then i feel like once they finally were faced cornered into unmasking the character they ran out of story to tell with it so it's like okay like kindred really hasn't had much story in the costume so now that we know it's harry now the story needs to be told. I mean, I agree with you. Like this should have been done months sooner cuz like the, to to drag it out to this degree just feels criminal. But the same token, like what was being dragged out was just throwing the name out there. Like like there really wasn't true story here being told about this character. So now we're going to get to the story. So that's that's where frankly Spencer can make or break this whole arc. It's like, what, what story is he going to tell with Harry as this character versus trying to guess who the character was for the last 50
0: issues. And I'm, I'm excited like about this and, and, and it's, it's mixed with a little bit of dismay. Like, I I think for me, all of my projections about Kindred were that like, okay, we're getting something new here. And to see Harry Osborne's face, it's like, oh, we can't really escape these goblin mysteries, right? Everything comes back to the Osborns or the goblins in every mystery within these books. But at the same time, you know, it does feel like familiar ground and it's going to play within themes of Spider-Man. And Spencer really has dubbed himself Mr. Fix-It. So if he's going to maybe fix something really like elemental that makes Harry an interesting player again, I I'm for it because I don't know what you do with Harry Lyman, you know, that he wasn't in this book. I thought was like actually good because it is weird for the characters to be hanging out with the same friends, their entire lives. Like as adults, you kind of move on from the people you spend time with. And it felt like Harry Lyman had earned that. So, you know, it is interesting, you know, we're getting a new character ostensibly and we'll see where, how it all shakes up. Even if it's within the trappings of the old, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to redeem some kind of narrative momentum with with Harry here. And it is interesting that Harry went from being like a legacy character, this legacy villain, Green Goblin, and got like boosted up to getting his own name and his own iconography. And, and maybe we can let him not only transcend the Osborne name, but transcend the Green Goblin legacy by. He finally gets to be his own villain. Just what everybody always wanted to be their own villain. <laughs> <laughs> very,
1: very, very good and twisted. Do you want to get to grades?
0: Uh, well, really quickly, one last thing I wanted to kind of get to with themes here. Is it like if you go back and reread those final issues of, of pre One More Day Harry Osborn, like one of the core themes there is this like nostalgia that like Harry blames Peter for kind of ruining this idyllic idyllic moment of their lives. Like when he was dating MJ and all things seemed to be going well for everybody. Flash hadn't really been all that harmed by his war experience. And Gwen was alive. And there was this kind of perfect, you know, John Romita senior era where everybody was getting along and their lives seemed swimming. And we've been returning to that imagery Throughout this series, this kind of nostalgic look back at that party scene, but beneath the surface of that, things weren't going very well. Like Peter was dealing with his problems as Spider-Man, Gwen was—I mean, if you believe in sins past, which this writer clearly does—she was going through this fling with Norman and and, and this kind of turmoil with her, the death of her father. And you've got Harry, who's beginning to crack and doing drugs. And so this nostalgia that Harry is pining for ultimately isn't real. And there's a sort of commentary where people who read Spider-Man have this kind of rose-tinted idea about the past and, and these kind of evergreen Spider-Man stories. And in the final issues, MJ actually, she's on the, the bridge where Gwen died. I won't even claim what bridge it was. And she and Harry are there, and they're talking like friends because he doesn't treat MJ with the same level of um, animus as he does Peter, she expresses to him like, no, things weren't that good back then. Like, you're misremembering it. And to me, I wonder if that might be where we're going here, is that Kindred is kind of this reflection of almost maybe like to- toxic toxic nostalgia that blames Peter for all these things. And maybe that's why he looks like that kiss, you know, he may, maybe there's something about him that is pulling forward. All of these elements from Peter's past that are remembered for something that they really weren't. And that's something I feel like maybe we're going to explore and why we've been flashing back to all those images of the past and the images of all those people dying as a direct comparison of like, you know, Spider-Man is, is at fault. That's the great sin is he, destroyed our innocence and and Norman even talks about that right and Kindred when they had that conversation in Amazing Spider-Man 31 is the idea like that Norman is really good at corrupting innocence and Kindred modeled himself after Norman to me I wonder if that's really the kind of themes that we're going to be exploring here what do you think about that
1: no I I, that's that's some great that's some great pulling there Dan I, I think that's 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 pretty spot on and We literally got the flashbacks to that era throughout this, you know, these books. I also think, I mean, just to kind of add one more shade of history here, it's worth noting that I found this in going through some old interviews for when I was writing my book a few years ago, that apparently one of the proposals from J. Michael Straczynski for the one more day reset to kind of get out of the marriage was to kind of was literally to reset the book to that timeline. I think it was like post Captain Stacy death, but like this other otherwise this era that we have been living in this whole time and and that would have been br- that would have brought back Harry Osborn, that would have brought back Gwen Stacy, obviously flash, pre-war flash and his stuff and that idea was ultimately rejected, but Marvel was keen on the idea of Having Harry Osborn brought back in some capacity, and that's why we ended up getting what we got with that. You know, I'm not saying that Spencer is necessarily reading the same interviews that I am and saying, "No, I want, I want, I want to explore that idea in some way here." But like, it's 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 either coincidental or not. But it's 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 just worth putting that out there into the ether of of all the information we're pulling here in terms of the character, but also the. Why explore this story now, especially in concert with One More Day stuff? So just just throwing that out
0: there. I also wanted to kind of highlight these two quotes from the CBR interview that we've been talking about. One to highlight a point that you've made in the past, Mark. So Nick Spencer said this. There's this feeling Pete has that something is not quite right or recognizable about his life, that it's somehow all a dream. And he's being swept along, trapped in a kind of hopeless cycle. Mark, you have really emphasized this dream element of these books. We talked about it at the start of this episode. To me, there's something going on here and whether it's One More Day related and Peter pulling out all these, these memories that have been forgotten over the years. But there's definitely something wrong with how we're, we're piecing together this world that Nick Spencer is presenting us, even from the very beginning.
1: You know, now that we have the reveal. What are we going to learn? And I think that's that's going to play a very key role in what we learn about this character. What's the other quote that you wanted to throw out there?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, just to, to piggyback on that, he says something is in the house. Pete can't see it, but he can feel it. Things happen that he doesn't remember or doesn't want to remember, and now there's a ghost haunting him. So that makes me feel like we're getting into one more day territory. And then in, in terms of the soft sausage making. Nick Spencer says, I haven't done a lot of interviews or talked publicly about the run these last couple of years. That's been by design. This is just for me. Nick Spencer was really great about communicating with us early on, and it's kind of dropped off from responding to my emails, and I've kind of left him alone. So if you're wondering why we haven't had Nick Spencer on the show, it seems it's by design that he's not doing interviews. He wants the work to stand on its own. And I actually think that's really healthy. And I am hopeful that if he does listen to these shows and maybe disagrees with some of our opinions, which he kind of pushed back a little bit on in this interview, how some of his stuff is being interpreted. I do hope we can have him on when his run is over and really get into the the weeds with him about, you know, some of his choices and, and how he handled this run. Because if anything, the, the CBR interview made me think it's that this guy really cares and is being really thoughtful about what he's doing Even if we don't agree with all of his choices It doesn't feel like he's doing things on accident
1: Which is, you know, admirable No doubt uh, Let's do a grade, Dan And then bring us home Where You go first I'm
0: going to give this one a B+, plus, But I could very easily say A- minus on this one I, I I really come around I mean, not that I, I liked this when I first read it But I respect it more all the time And I, I suspect this will be A memorable issue of Spider-Man to look back on
1: yeah, I am actually one hundred percent with you. I would say be plus on this. I mean, you know, I, I, I personally ding it dinged it on the um some of the structural stuff, the the stuff with the Sin Eater, the Spider Squad uh, that got that brought into it. I know they're not going anywhere. They're going to be more in my face. But, you know, those are the major demerits. But I, I feel like if some of that stuff was maybe a little cleaner, I would have been up in A minus territory for sure. And and with room to change as the story evolves. Um, but I def- definitely has, you know, for, for all of my interest killing that the last issue did, this, this has gotten me back. On board, like now, I'm I feel invested in this story again. I'm excited to be talking about these comics here, uh, and I just hope that that the momentum continues because I think that there's promise for something really cool to come out here, and I just want to see that continue to happen.
0: Well, Mark, that that's great to hear. I, I I'm really excited. I this is probably the most excited I've been about this book since issue one, which we both loved. So uh, this should be a lot of fun to talk about. These issues, And I'll say this right now. Mark and I are not going to be reviewing the LR issues the week that they come out. We're going to wrap those in with the other issues. We just can't do 10 weeks straight. Um, (laughs) It's just a lot. It's a good time to be a Spider-Man fan, especially if you have the wallet to afford it. I mean, the rest of this year is going to be just a blockbuster, I think. I'm really excited about it, but I don't think that we're going to be able to cover it quite as...
1: Gradually to the, to the <laughs> issue,
0: to the page as you want. Yeah, yeah. These past two issues have been monster issues, and these have been longer than usual shows. And I think these issues deserve these kind of discussions. But boy, we can't do this every week. It would be be a lot, of, you know, along with our, all of our other content. And we have some really exciting content coming for you guys. Do we want to reveal this to to the people on Patreon? Rick can edit this out later edit complete mark why don't you take us home
1: sure well of course it's that time time for all of the good things to come to an end so we want to say thank you to you the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of the amazing spider talk
0: yeah everybody this episode was edited by rick coast with production support from andy myers our artwork comes handcrafted by artists ron friend sal busema and ray sumzer and our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and spider Mage. And as with all of our episodes, all of our reviews, this was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help us support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until Kindred is revealed to be the living incarnation of the spider marriage as I wanted it to be, what's our motto?
1: Oh, man. Just give it up, Dan. Uh, But that motto, of course. I'm giving it up. (laughs) That motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't
0: don't miss the next install.